0: We hope you enjoy listening to this weekly podcast from Lifeline Church. Find out more by visiting lifelinechurch.co.uk Hello. Excellent. This is very high. Sorry. am right. um, Yeah, I can do things like that. It's fine. Cool. Hi, everyone. Well, I was supposed to be sharing this... Um, a few weeks ago, some date in August I think it was, um, and I started thinking about it a long time before that, and then of course last week's happened, and um, and so I think I'm going to stick with what I have to share, but I think I'll be touching on some of the other sort of events that have been impacting us in this last week as we go, we'll just see where God takes me. I'm going to start by just reading two bits of scripture, which may seem disconnected, but I'm hoping by the end you'll get the hang of it. The first is this. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, this is Isaiah 61. If you did watch the service, some people might have seen a service for the Queen on Friday. This was read there, actually. Because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted to proclaim the freedom proclaim freedom for the captives and release for prisoners from darkness for prisoners to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes the oil of joy instead of mourning and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair They will be called oaks of righteousness or right standing, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Now, when they've finished eating... Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. And then the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, Do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you'll stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. So, I want to leave those two scriptures hanging in your heads, and then we're gonna, I'm going to go on a little walk around now, and we'll see, see where we end up. So, December 2013. I don't, Do you remember December 2013? I don't know what was happening in your life. What was happening in my life was this. It's very exciting. It's not actually my car. It's the picture I could find that was closest to my car. Uh, mine was a 6.3, of course, because it was 2013, but it was a new car, and I was so excited. As I drove away from the garage, I had to take a photograph of the speedometer that showed it had done seven miles. I'd never owned a car that had done so few miles in my life. I was so excited. It was a Vauxhall Sephira, but I was still excited. <laughs> and on, two weeks after picking up this car, we went to um, the Asda car park in Romford, and when we came back to the car, a trolley had been pushed into the side of it and it had got dented. As some of you know, it's had an eventful life. Um, it's been driven into a couple of times whilst parked in different car parks and fixed both times. Nine years later, it doesn't look quite like the shiny thing in my photograph up there. You see, the things that we have in this world get old, they need restoring. They don't last, right? This world is passing away. We can get very excited by new things. They're very seductive, and we love new things. The smell of your new car when you get into it. And actually, if it's a second-hand new car, they still make them smell like new, don't they, when you get into it. And um, But it's not just things, is it? It's it's when you meet someone maybe for the first time and you can describe like a honeymoon period in your relationship with someone and everything can be fine and then rubbish starts to build up in the relationship and you can get less enthusiastic, the mess of seeing can get in the way, the new job that you enjoyed can become less of a novelty and more of a drudge. It's the nature of this world that things don't go on forever. Uh, with the Queen's passing this week, uh, Boris Johnson's quote said something like, uh, that we, like children, had imagined she would always be there. And I think, I think that's kind of true. It's like with our own parents. You imagine that your parents will always be there. And then when they're not there, it's, it's a really difficult thing to, to understand. When we were praying this morning, it's really interesting, before Richard Knob walked into the room we were praying about the fact that Jesus doesn't change and that God is eternal. And then Richard came into the room and he said exactly the same thing. So I'm going to say it again here. You know, God does not change. Yesterday, today, and forever, Jesus is the same. That's Hebrews 13.8. Malachi 3.6 says, I, the Lord, do not change. So there's something wonderful about him. Now we can misunderstand him, and our understanding of him can develop, but he does not change. Um, a few years ago, a couple of years ago, this Facebook meme was doing the rounds, and, um, and it, it's, it's alleged that this elderly couple were being asked uh, how they'd managed to be married for 65 years. And the, the Facebook cartoon says, well, we come from a generation of when things were broken, you would fix it, not throw it away. Now, sadly, marriages do break down, and I'm not, I'm not uh, going there at the moment. We're part of a broken world, but it's never desirable, it's never God's desire that marriage should be broken. This couple, apparently, in this hypothetical situation, have stayed together because they have worked, decided together to try and work to fix what's broken. But this posting got me thinking, not just about marriage. It got me thinking about, do I throw things away that God wants me to repair? Do I disregard people in my life that I consider to be kind of beyond repair? And I believe God's begun a process of increasing my compassion. Now, some of you know that I... uh, Used to suffer with a, a, a bit of a tricky back, and one of the things I've tried to do to improve this is do my half an hour of cross training in my dark cellar every morning. But I do this whilst watching TV, so I don't get completely bored, and um, and uh, it's worked really well. My back is much better, but I end up watching some fairly strange things on television. Anyway, one of the things that I watched on television was this. Now you might have come across it. Mm-mm-mm. Um, anyone ever seen this program? Yeah, yeah don't you love it? Well, um, let me show you the trailer and then I'll talk about it. Okay, so the upshot of the program is that people turn up with things that are falling apart and they say, I love this thing, can you make it better, please? And then the various teams get to work to try and fix it. And uh, What really comes across to me is, as I say, God speaks to us through many different things, doesn't he? What came across to me is that how many people value and treasure things that appear to be worthless. You know, I think that's sometimes not not valuing things, but I think that's got a heart of God in it somewhere. God treasures things that others might disregard and think are worthless. Some of these things are connected with people's memories, or they might connect with a person or event... But the restorers see something that isn't there, and use skills that we don't have. Now, when you watch the programme, often there's quite a lot of emotion when the person has the thing given to them, and, um, well, if you're a bit daft like me, you end up feeling quite emotional, even though you're talking about something which, frankly, if you'd seen it in the first place, you just thought, well, I don't really understand why this is so important to this person. I think it's a shadow of something deeper that God's put into the heart of our hearts as as people, as mankind, something that longs to see this changing and decaying world made into something eternal. And I think that this ache is there. There is an ache for things that pass away. The photograph I've got there is someone called Jane Devereux, um, and this dolly was the thing that she took to be repaired. I don't have a picture of what it was beforehand it, it's not, it, but she was given this in 1945 when she met her father for the first time when he returned from a Japanese war, war camp and uh, prisoner of war camp and he'd known her when she was born and then gone off fought, been, been in a camp and as she'd come back he gave it to her and she treasured this thing because in the, in the war she'd never seen anything so beautiful and um, she said, I'd never, see, I'd never seen anything so beautiful in my life. I'd never even had a doll before. The precious to- toy eventually became a weather-beaten and battered after a little boy, Jane U, strapped it to his, his bicycle and left it out in the rain. Goodness me. Anyway, it was then repaired and restored. And, you, and if, this is an example of the kind of program. But I suppose what I want the kind of thing that goes on, but what I wanted to think about is are there treasures that that we might be missing around us? Now I'm not necessarily thinking, I'm not thinking about dollies necessarily, guys. What is it that we have around us? Who are they that God wants to restore? And how do we see what they could become? I've become increasingly aware of people not being okay in the place that I work. Um, I don't mean everyone, but just God has kind of caused different connections to bubble up. And um, and just to be aware of how much goes on with people that you work with that you don't necessarily know about. There are the obvious things. If someone is off sick, then you know about that. But you don't know when someone is going through a divorce, necessarily. You don't know when there's a contesting over who's going to have the children. You don't know about the man who's perhaps just retired after many years' work, whose wife has developed dementia after his working life, so that now he can't even go out of the house without worrying that his wife's going to disappear. Or the recently married young man whose wife has just lost a child through uh, miscarriage. Are these people too far from God to help them? Are their lives too broken for him to help? Well, the thing that I feel God is stirring up in me is that it's not an accident that suddenly, out of the blue, I'm becoming aware of these things. And I feel that God wants us to have a greater compassion for the people we work with, uh, people that we know in the community. If you, by that, I mean, I'm thinking about people I work with, but, you know, for you, it may be the people at the school gate, or it might be uh, the people at the uh, toddler's club. Whatever, whoever God puts on, in, around you, look a little bit deeper. Because what looks fine on the surface is often not fine underneath. In the, rest- in the repair shop, mostly the things look pretty ghastly when they come for repair, right? Um, but people are very good at putting on a face. And underneath it, there's something else going on. I'm just going to read this quote again um, from C.S. Lewis. And just think, just he uses very long words, but. There is something here I think God wants us to get. There are no ordinary people. You've never spoken to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these things are mortal, and their life is to ours as to the life of a gnat. It's a serious thing to live in the society of possible, possible gods and goddesses, to remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you talk to may be a creature which, if you saw it now, would be strongly tempted to worship, or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if, if at all, only in a nightmare. What he's saying is he's saying, we, we often confuse the mortal and the immortal, okay, in our heads. Human beings, the Bible says, have been born with eternity in mind. So every single person you meet is an eternal being. And that's really important for how we value them. And yet what we sometimes think of is the things that, we use the phrase, that live after somebody. And they're no longer here and the, and the things they've done, they live after them. And we'll perhaps be talking about that with, with the Queen, you know, the things that she's done that, that perhaps continue. But you know what? She was born to eternity. That's what we believe. This kingdom, her kingdom, is not eternal. Believe it or not. And with all the news at the moment of things being crazy and prices, etc, we can well believe that it isn't eternal. But that man that you talk with at the school gate, or that chap you see in Tesco's, or the woman you work with, she's eternal. And the amazing thing is that that God puts us in this place where we kind of have to accept there are some things that we can't know except by the Spirit of God. And the world doesn't understand because it doesn't see things the same way. When we were praying for PJ, I remember this scripture being brought. Um, And... um, And it was particularly, I felt, a particularly helpful one for us to think about. For as it's written in the scriptures, no one has ever seen this, and no one has ever heard about it, no one has ever imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. But God has shown us these things through the Spirit. The Spirit searches out all things, even the deep secrets of God. Now, this is obviously, in the context, is talking about our place in heaven and what it's going to be like when we get there. But you know something? No eye has e- imagined what God has prepared for me to become. I'm, I'm, I'm stretching the application here a bit. When God saved me, God reveals things to us by the power of his spirit, but n- but no, no one would have had the natural thought of what Neil Jakes was going to become when God saved him. No one had the inkling of what God was going to do with Chris Page's life, with Angela Clay's life. God had a plan from the very beginning, and he set his heart on you. And you know what? We can believe that God will help us find that purpose by the power of his spirit. When Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians, he goes on to talk about, we say who has known the mind of, mind of the Lord so as to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. There is a, there is a promise there that, that the church together, we have the mind of Christ. In another place in the Bible, Ezekiel's taken into the Valley of Dry Bones, and um, and the hand of the Lord is on him, and, he's brought out into, uh, and he brings him out by the Spirit of the Lord and into the middle of a valley. And he led me back and forth amongst the bones, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. And he asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, Sovereign Lord, only you alone know. See, when we're looking... The people are when we, when we, when God reveals things about people around us, about the world around us, about about uh, just gives us a heart for those around us. We might see just dry bones, if you like. Do you, do you get? I might be stretching the scripture a bit, but I, do you get what I'm talking about? That, that there's a there's a kind of a an echo somehow in their life of something they might become. And, and we want to say, Lord, can these bones live? Because, because I think in these days, what we're saying is, it's, we, can't, we can't fix it. So the, the breakdown of the illustration of the repair shop is it's people, kind of, with all their skills, doing their stuff. But when Ezekiel asks the question, or is asked the question by God, he's very clear that only God knows whether these bones can live. Now, we know that they're born for eternity, but what God wants is to to breathe his life into them so they can become that thing which God has destined them to be. Now, in the story I I gave you at the beginning, the John 21 story, um, the context of what's happened here is Jesus was crucified. This is from John chapter 21. Jesus was crucified. He died. He rose again, and he has appeared to the disciples. And he's appeared, and he's, he's cooked some food with them. They're actually in the midst of trying to catch fish when he first appears. Uh, Peter's gone back to what he knows, um, and he's, he's trying to get on with doing the job which he, he, he recognizes because he's really messed up big time. There are times in our life when we feel like we've really messed up big time. But Jesus meets with us at that point. Peter had been unsuccessful all night. And this fella from the beach says, have you thought about trying the other side? And he throws the nets out the other side, and they nearly sink the boat because they're able to catch far more fish than they ever expected. And... uh, they finished eating this fishy meal, this fishy breakfast. And Peter, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he denied knowing Jesus three times. And Jesus knew that this was going to happen. But before this even happened in his life, he t- took his name Simon and he said, I'm not going to call you Simon, I'm going to call you Peter. It's quite interesting he uses Simon in this story. I haven't quite worked out why that is. Maybe. We'll come back to that. But he changes his name to Peter, which means the rock. You see, Peter was completely changed by the power of the Spirit. You can be completely changed by the power of the Spirit. What has gone before does not have to be what dictates the future. Your history, as the phrase goes, is not your destiny. You're absolutely cut off from from what has happened in your life. And whatever has happened... God brings us to this place to be restored. So he goes through this rather strange dialogue that's recorded in John 21, where, where Jesus asks the same question three times. And, and it's like some people, when well, people think it's like a mirroring of, of Peter denying Jesus three times. And so because he denied Jesus three times, he makes him kind of own, own him three times. Now there is something a little weird going on in the Greek, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about it. I don't pretend to know a lot about Greek, and I've seen a reference recently which suggests some of this is um, well, a little bit creative, but I'm going to stick with it because it agrees with what I felt God was saying. <laughs> so the way the phrase is written, or the way that it's written here, is just he says, do you love me? And he says, do you love me three times. Actually, the dialogue is, Jesus says, do you agape me? And Peter says, yes, I filio you. Agape, phileo, what do we mean? Well, agape is, is the love, we would say, the sacrificial love that God has for his people. It's the love that means he gave up his life in Jesus on the cross for us, that he gave everything he could, that he laid everything down. Whereas filio is what we would talk about as love within a family be love for a brother it's still a real love it's still a powerful love but that agape is is like a higher love that's that's how i've always been taught and that's that's what i want you to get so jesus is asking if he agapes him and peter seems to be responding with yes i do i filio you which is is a little bit weird because it's like jesus is saying do you will you give yourself for me Basically, that's the kind of love we're talking about. Will you lay down your life for me? Will you? And he's just been shown, remember, Peter has just been shown what that philio, sorry, what that agape love is. He's just seen Jesus being beaten, he's just seen Jesus die on the cross. And he's saying, Well, yeah, I do, I filio you. But in a way, that's like a lower. Lower love, in a way. I think that Peter had got into the mess he got because he'd overestimated his own strength. Surely I won't deny you, he says. And then he'd underestimated the power of the enemy to tempt. And he failed to rely on God's strength and ended up with failing as a result. So I think here he's being very real. Well, I'd I'd really like to think I could, but actually I'm going to say... This thing, I'm going to say, I, I filio you. But you see, I think Jesus sees beyond something here, which is what Jesus does. Because when he's asked him for the third time, the third time he asks him, he, he uses the same word that Peter uses, so that at least they can agree, I think. And they're saying the same thing. But he goes on to say, very truly... Very truly, when you were younger and dressed yourself, uh, you went where you wanted. But when you're old and you stretch out your hands, someone will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Which is a really strange verse, isn't it? But that's what we think Jesus is referring to there, is the fact that actually, ultimately, Peter would do what? He would die for Jesus. So even though Peter couldn't say, I agape you, what we see is that in Jesus' words over his life is that he knows that he will. One day he will give himself for Jesus. Jesus sees beyond our own failures to something which is yet to be. So he sees, he sees beyond his failure to a place that he, Peter can't imagine yet. And I think he's deliberately chosen to do this by a fire, which is where Peter was as he denied knowing Jesus. The scripture says he was keeping himself warm by a fire. And there he is with the smoke in his eyes. He's probably still got... They didn't have many clothes, did they? He's probably still smelling of the smoke from a few days ago. And I I just feel that what we see there is that in his restoration, this is sometimes called... Um, Peter's restoration, this, this sort of verse, this passage, what we see is that, is that Jesus sees beyond what, what Peter can even imagine. And my encouragement to you this morning is that you know, when Peter did that, he did that willingly. He, was, he got there. God had done something in his life and he was prepared to do it. You know, when God calls us to lay down our lives, he enables it. Um, Now, we're very unlikely, mercifully, to give up our actual lives. But every day, we make decisions about whether we do what we want or whether we lay down our lives and do what he wants us to do. Um, And I know that I can give testimony to the fact that when I've needed to make a sacrifice about something, God gives you that ability to do it. It's like it, it becomes natural. We were, uh, I mentioned this teacher's situation with his, uh, with his wife who had Alzheimer's. Um, we'd gone away on a trip together, and sh- she went missing. We arrived down on the residential trip. His wife was missing at home. So immediately we arrived in Wales, I, I, I said, well, and we, I knew this had happened. We drove back again so that he could go and find his wife. His wife was found a long way from his home, Um, It was really, really frightening. What I'm saying is, people said, well, you don't want to drive all the way back. You've just got here. I said, well, it doesn't matter, does it? That's what he needs. And it was like, it was easy to do. I'm I'm just giving that as an illustration, not to say I'm big. What I'm saying is that the Holy Spirit allows you to do things which are beyond your comfort zone, that that are beyond what you thought you'd be able to do and that's how he meets with us and so so this is the thing i want us to really come to sort of finish with that that jesus is our restorer he sees beyond what we think we're capable of he sees that we are actually a far more amazing creature than we think we are. Turn to the person next to you, say, You are a far more amazing creature than you think you are. I mean, really. I, I've got so many thoughts going around in my head. I just want to make sure I'm being clear on this. So, so it, I started with the word restoration, and I've, and I've gone around a bit. But there's two things I want us to catch this morning. One is how much God's heart is to restore you. And when he's restoring you, he's not making something that you used to be. So in the repair shop, you take something that used to be great, And if you're lucky, you end up with something that is as great as it was before. When Jesus took Peter, he didn't take him and put him back where he used to be. He took Peter, who denied him three times, and made him into the rock on which he built his church. Jesus wants to do the same thing with you. He wants to make you as strong as Peter. He wants to make you as as dependable because of the Holy Spirit inside you. You're not dependable, but he is. He is the eternal one. He is the one who does not change. And his spirit inside you can enable you to stand when the world is changing around you. So that's the first thing, that God wants to restore you. And the second thing is that God wants to restore others. And he wants us to catch that heart. Not to go in and fix them, but just listen to him. What is he saying as you have your conversations at the school gate, as you have your conversations at work, as you have your conversations in your families. See, Jesus, in Psalm 23, not Jesus, the Lord says, he, the word says, he restores my soul. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down, lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. That word restores is translated in a number of different ways. He renews. He refreshes and restores. And the word soul is strength or life or soul. Perhaps you need to be refreshed. Perhaps you need to be uh, renewed. God sees beyond our failures to a place that we can't even imagine. He's not just fixing something that's broken. He's recreating something. Something as it was always intended to be. So do you need to be restored? God's promise is that he has plans for you. If you're here this morning and you don't know God, you know God has a plan and has his thoughts towards you are, are not to harm you, but to give you a hope and a future. One of the things, as you hear people talking about the Queen's faith, is she often talked about the hope that she got from Jesus. And I think that's a really important word. And in these recent years where we've been dealing with COVID and we've had lockdowns and we've had the darkness of that, hope was our message at Christmas. Hope was our message all year. If you don't know Jesus, you feel like you have no hope. I might correct that. You have no hope. But Jesus gives us hope. No God doesn't look at how beaten up you are uh, or how you look. And he doesn't want to make you new like my car in 2013. He wants to restore you, not just to what you used to be, but to something eternal. Realizing you're broken is the first step. Do you doubt what you're capable of? We were talking about doubt the other week, weren't we? Okay, confess it. See what God's going to do. And finally, I just want us to think about, for those of us who feel like we've already been restored and we're connected with the Father, I, I, I believe God has been working something in my heart that he wants you to catch which is that thing of compassion. And we can't always fix it. For years, I think I've been caught up in not having the right words to say all the time. (laughs) you know what? I don't always have the right words to say. Sometimes I just listen. In fact, quite a lot of the time I just listen. And I listen to other people and I say, oh, that's a really smart thing to say. Oh, I couldn't have said that. But actually catching something in your heart is the most important thing. Having compassion. It leads to action. It's not just a feeling. But words aren't actions. At least most of the time, they're not. So I think, I think, just to finish, I think I'd encourage us to, to listen to people around you. That might sound a bit silly, but actually for years, I think, particularly for those of us who work, and... Uh, I might, I don't want to upset anyone, but I think, chaps, you are probably worse than this than your other halves, uh, if you have another half. Um, Men, I think we're not very good at really listening when we're at work. I think we go to work and we get the job done, and we kind of get our head down and we get the job done, whereas actually... on Facebook, lifeline.church.uk or Twitter at Lifeline UK.